In the words of the Apostle Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending John the Baptist to prepare the way for your Son, who prepares the way for us to return back to you. Lord, we would ask this morning that you would break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. Second only to Lent, Advent is one of my favorite times in the year. I love the hymns, I love the music, I love the readings, I love the theme of preparation. So much of the Advent season is about preparation for the coming of the King and the Christ child of Christmas. And while the rest of the world would stop there and they would settle for a beautiful Christmas, we as followers of Christ, not only celebrate his coming in infancy, but the promise of his coming again as the King of Kings. The season of Advent is as much of a season of reflection as it is preparation. It's interesting to note that all four gospel accounts have some kind of inclusion of John the Baptist as the preparer for Jesus as the way. Actually, so much so that the gospel of Mark skips over the birth narrative in its entirety and jumps right in to this guy named John the Baptizer. Now, as a kid, I thought he was some Baptist preacher. (laughs) But really, he's John the son of Zechariah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. This theme of preparation is readily apparent in our gospel text for today. And if you turn and look towards the end three times, three times John is asked, what shall we do? What must we do to be ready? Now, it's worth noting that this is after he has already confronted them with their unfaithfulness. He has called them a brood of vipers and convicts them for their lack of bearing or being good fruit. The lectionary that we follow where each week we get three set readings that are shared throughout the church, past, present, and future. And interestingly enough, in our Old Testament text today from the prophet Malachi, 
And as a side note, I heard a guy pronounce this Malaki, and I thought that was awesome. <laughs> Malachi, as he preached and proclaims of God's judgment against sorcery, adultery, perjury, against the oppressors of the least of these and those who neglect and reject the sojourner, and ultimately those who do not fear God. My job as a preacher is for you to leave on a Sunday and know what Scripture says about specific issues without ever having an idea of who I vote for. But there are times when Scripture speaks and the politics that pour forth are not of earth and are something of heaven instead. And politics is in the forefront here. And it's worth asking, how do we as people measure up? This is a reflection of the fruit that we bear in faith. And oftentimes we don't like to hear the words because it goes against the grain of our partisanship or our stance on policy. And so it causes us to gristle, and I can't believe Pastor said that. And I go, actually, I didn't say that. Milwaukee did. <laughs> I didn't say anything about thrusting aside the sojourner. That was Malachi. I didn't say anything about not fearing God. That was Malachi. And actually, it wasn't really Malachi. It was God speaking through Malachi instead. And as Malachi speaks these words, they kind of hang out and sit there in time until about 400 years later, this crazy guy in camel skin and eating locusts and honey with a leather belt around his waist hanging way out in the desert, he starts calling out and saying, how are you all measuring up? Are you caring for the sojourner? Are you clothing the naked? Are you feeding the poor? Are you looking after the fatherless, the widow? And as they come out to be baptized for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, He calls out to them and says, you brood of vipers. And then you can hear him asking, almost as if he's hoping to get the right answer, who told you to flee from this coming day of wrath? Were you listening 400 years ago when Malachi said it? Did you listen when Isaiah said it? Did you listen when Jeremiah said it? Did you listen to all of the other prophets that have said this for hundreds of years? Did you listen when Moses said it? 
Who told you to flee from the coming day of wrath? And then he says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We talk a lot about how we are pruned and sheared in faith and how sometimes those places where we experience transition from one stage or step or circumstance to another, and we feel that pain where we've kind of had a limb clipped. But that's not what we're talking about here. Because there is a big difference between a bit of pruning that's intended to allow for greater growth and actually having the axe taken to the roots and the tree chopped out of the ground. And not just that, it's not like Alaskans where we chop the wood and then let it dry and then put it in the fire. This is like we're chopping it out and we're throwing it straight in. We're not waiting. And a matter of fact, we're done letting it sap and steal resources that it's not willing to share. See, reflection has a way of bearing its own fruit. God uses his law to hold it up in front of us and show us our sins so that he can call us to repentance and proclaim his words of grace and mercy. Compassion, generosity, and acts of mercy and justice are contagious. The gospel pours forth in its uncontainable. But even though we're all about paying it forward, it's worth asking, are we equitable in doing so? What shall we do, Lord? Examining our own reflection holds us accountable to where we place our hope. John warns the people and says, before you even say it, this whole bit about, well, we are children of Abraham... He says, I will tell you for a fact that just as quick as you can say it, God can raise up out of these stones children for Abraham. And as a parent, sometimes you want to go, and they'll probably listen better than you do. See, they brought this claim to John the Baptist, they brought this claim to Jesus and they said, we don't really need the gospel that you bring. We have our hope in the promise that God gave Abraham. And Jesus goes, whoa, wait, time out here. You've only got half the solution. 
And they actually use the word seed. Well, a seed on its own is great, but the word for seed is sperma, and we know that for growth to happen, it takes two parts. Here Jesus comes and gives them the whole picture. He gives them the fullness of the promise manifest and made flesh. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe is laid to the roots to strip the fruitless from stealing away what isn't shared. And this is a really important piece of what John is saying today because later on, as we see in Matthew 25, as he separates the sheep from the goats and he turns to the faithful and he says, You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was sick and in prison. And they look and they say, Lord, when did we do these things? And he says, when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me. And by contrast, he turns to the goats who are going, well, when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you poor? And when did we see you in prison or sick? And Jesus says, when you did not do this for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And almost as though they're saying, well, Lord, if we knew it was you, then we would have done it. Whereas the sheep are going, we had no idea. It's just who we are. It's in our DNA. We bear fruit because that's what good, fruitful trees do. We don't control it. It just happens. Our acts of service, as we offer this morning, are reflections of Christ's righteousness within us. See, as Malachi ends our reading today, he says, O children of Jacob, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. But see, there's always a balance between law and gospel and what we preach, proclaim, and practice. And the gospel here is that before those words are ever uttered, he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. And for that reason, you are not consumed. Despite our turning aside, our failing to keep God's statutes or even consistently bear good fruit, God never changes his love and care for us as his people. 
It is constant and unwavering. And we proclaim this in the ways that we are intentional in our discipleship so that we answer the question of what shall we do? And we answer with faithful and demonstrable action. You see, discipleship is where God prepares the way of the Lord and makes his paths straight, where he fills every valley and makes every mountain and hill low, where he straightens out the crooked and he levels out the rough places. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. The Advent invitations to worship call us to prepare ourselves in the unchanging and faithful promises of God's acts of righteousness so that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because each time we come before God, and we repent and ask for his mercy, he proclaims those words of forgiveness through the words he speaks in worship. Worship calls and keeps the Christ in Christmas so that he always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.